what I want to talk about really tonight is peace. And I want to talk about peace for two reasons. On the one hand, it's, it's the thing that we all want. And we want more peace in our world. We want more peace in our homes. We want more peace in our own hearts. Uh, and we want it. And even though we want it, and, and even though we've tried everything we know how to try to get it, it still always seems to stay a few steps ahead of us. And we don't like that. And that's one reason I want to talk about it. The other reason is very simply that the message of Christmas is a message about peace. And what Christians believe is that when Jesus was born, peace came to the earth. And I understand fully that it doesn't look like that. When you look around, it doesn't seem that peace has come. But what I want to show you tonight is that the reason there is so little peace is because of the accumulation of many, many missed opportunities. And what I'd like to do is to help all of us in here grasp the opportunity that is always ours because of the gift that's come in Jesus. And here's how I'm going to do this. We're going to focus our attention on one little detail in the Christmas narrative. In the Gospel of Luke, it's one of the four books that tells about Jesus. In the opening lines of his writing, he tells the readers that every single detail he puts in there is going to be put there on purpose. Uh, he explains that he had heard about Jesus, he investigated everything that he could find out about him, he interviewed eyewitnesses, and he gathered all of the details together, and then he put every single line down on purpose for one reason. He hoped that people would know the truth about Jesus. And by the way, uh, if there was a way for me to capture what I hope for more than anything, it's that that people would know the truth about Jesus because of the work that I do. And there's a reason for that, because I'm convinced that Jesus brings peace. And it's the thing that I need. And you need it too. Our world needs it. So here's the one line in the Christmas story that's going to show us a missed opportunity. Uh, it, it has to do with where Jesus was born and why he was born there. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 reads like this. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem because that's where they came from. The Roman emperor had uh, decided that it was time for a census and so all of the citizens had to go back to their birthplaces to be counted and to pay taxes. They came to the inn, and when they arrived, there was no room for them. The, the inn had plenty of space, but it just so happened that there had been others who came along first and filled it up. And so when Mary and Joseph and Jesus with them came, there was nowhere for them to stay. Uh, the rooms were taken by farmers who came to pay taxes or some soldiers who lived in that region who came to be registered. There were some idlers hanging around the door and some people there by the fireside. But when this carpenter from Nazareth came, there was no room for him. And so Jesus and Mary and Joseph had to go out and, and the child who was inside had to be born somewhere else because there was no room for him at the inn. Now this is a detail. This one detail is, is one which Luke includes for a reason. He included it for his readers then, and I think it's, it, it has some virtue for us now because what it depicts is a missed opportunity 
which results in less peace in the world. Um, I want you to use your imagination. Whatever you think about Jesus, imagine for a moment that he is who Luke goes on to say he is, that Jesus is God himself coming into the world in person, that there in Mary's womb is the one in whom the fullness of the deity has chosen to dwell so that here at the inn comes not just two ordinary folks, but also God himself with us in the form of a baby. Imagine that, and now imagine that you are the innkeeper, and they've come to your establishment, but your rooms are taken already, and so there's no more room for them. And, and of course, since you don't know who this woman is, she just looks like a peasant, and you have no idea who her baby's going to be, you turn them away. But then imagine later on you found out who you turned away. Can you see a missed opportunity there? Have you ever been to a diner where the owner has pictures of himself with famous people hanging all over the walls? Right, there's a missed opportunity. Think about it. For this innkeeper, right? I was in the city with my friend Vito. Some of you have met my friend Vito. Uh, I called him one afternoon and said, Vito, I want the best Reuben sandwich in New York City. What is it? Katz's Deli is number two, and I'm so glad for crowd participation tonight. It's great, right? But Eisenberg's on fifth. Anybody? Eisenberg's? Try it out, okay? They did not pay me as a part of this message. I, I sit down at the counter with my friend Vito. And, and by the way, the, the Reuben is scientifically proven to be the tastiest sandwich. And there we are, and on every inch of the walls, there's photos of famous people with the same guy in every photo beside them pretending to be their best friend. And there we are eating, and all of a sudden, in comes the guy in every photo. So I elbow my friend Vito, and I say, Vito, look, look at that. Look over there. And Vito says, Christian, be cool. Don't make a scene. Right? He lives in New York City. And I don't know how not to make a scene. And so I start to stare at him until he looks back at me. And when he sees me, I go like this. Hey, come over here. And so he does. He walks over kind of reluctantly, but he comes over. And I look at him right in the face and I say, are you Eisenberg? And he says, I am. So you've got a lot of pictures of yourself with famous people, don't you? Yeah. Now Vito's trying to pretend he doesn't know me. But we are the only two people at the entire counter. And so then I turn to Eisenberg and I say, you know, you're going to really want a photo with my friend here. And he says, oh, yeah, who's your friend? I say, that's Vito. And he says, never heard of him. And he walks away. And that was the last time that Vito ever invited me to lunch in the city. <laughs> and listen now, Eisenberg had no idea who Vito was and so Eisenberg had no room for Vito on his wall. And Luke includes this detail of the inn with no room and the guest, Jesus, who is turned away for a reason. Both of those facts are important. They're details that Luke put before us so that we would ask questions about ourselves. Can you see the missed opportunity our lives are full. That's true, isn't it? Right? Our lives are full. And maybe we have no idea 
who Jesus is. So why would we want to make room for him? But what Luke is certain of is that when we don't make room for Jesus, he won't be born in us. And now this is what Christians believe. This means the greatest lost opportunity of all. It means the peace that comes with this child never is realized. And this is clear when we know who Jesus is and what actually happens when he does find room in a heart. Now, I know not everybody's in the same place here, but let me start by telling you who Jesus is. In, in the simplest way I can say it, Jesus is the one who brings peace. He brings peace into this world, and that's who he is. But we will never experience that when we don't welcome him. Eight centuries before the events that Luke recounted, Eight centuries before Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem, there was a man who lived in that same region. His name was Isaiah, and this man had his ears open to God and his eyes open to the misery that was all around him. His life and the lives of the people that he knew were as bad as we can imagine. You yourselves, I know, you have in the year behind you and you fear in the year ahead of you moments of deep anxiety because things in the world around and in your family and your own life aren't what they should be. Isaiah lived in a time just like that and what Isaiah heard from God was a promise that one day all of this misery would go away. Here's how he put it in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. Look at it. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish that's a promise that God gave this man, and he wrote it down, believing it was true. He, he unfolded this beautiful promise with imagery that makes your heart sing. He said, it will be like the desert places will suddenly bloom, and the most fragrant and delicate flowers will spring into life in those formerly dead places. Do you have any of those places in you? He said, it will be like a fresh river breaks through the wilderness and everywhere the river goes it will bring life and it will bring peace and people who are enemies will put behind them their hatred and they'll get along at last there'll be harmony instead of violence uh, soldiers will give up on their fighting and they'll work together to bring life into the world sorrow and sighing it will flee away personal anguish of every kind will vanish and it will never come back no more pain no more hurt no more suffering all of the scarcity in your life will be replaced with abundance wherever you are, you are oppressed freedom will come instead uh, the conflicts will turn into uh, cooperation. Every good thing that you can dream of, it will come. The, the, the peace that you long for will come. And then Isaiah went on to say that it will happen when a child leads the world to this peace. And now we Christians believe that the child he was talking about is the one who didn't find room in the inn. Now here's how Isaiah puts it further in the chapter. This is verse 6. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders. That's Isaiah's way of saying there's a child that's coming and he's the one who's going to bring peace and he's been given to every one of us. And by the way, uh, those of you who have been here every week and those of you who this is your first time here, uh, for all of us, the promise of the scriptures is the same, that this child has been given for us equally. Who is he? Isaiah says, wonderful counselor. And we believe Jesus has the guidance that directs people onto the paths which if followed are the best possible paths in life. He is mighty God. We believe Jesus has the power in everything that brings you anxiety to meet you there and when you trust him, 
to lead you out of it and give you freedom. He will be called Everlasting Father. Jesus' care and provision and protection will be for everyone who comes to him with an open heart like the care of a perfect adult. A beloved child who has everything they need because Jesus is like this father whose love is everlasting and will never go away. He is Prince of Peace. That last one there. That's for tonight. Prince of Peace. The one who uses his authority and his power as a prince, as a royal figure to bring peace. To take away the anxiety that you have been longing to leave behind. To, to free you and to free your family, and to free your neighborhood, and to free the world that we find ourselves in. And of course, that raises the question yet again, well, if he brought this, then where is it? Here is where Luke's detail about the crowded inn and the guest who is rejected has a lesson for us. When the inn is overcrowded, Jesus is turned away. And the only way that we... And I'll say this more pointedly, the only way that you, the only way that I will experience the, the, the peace which Jesus brought is when I make room for him to be born in me instead of turning him away. Then the peace that he brings comes in here. And only then can the peace he brings spread out into the world. And so the question that Luke wants us to ask is uh, very simple. Is there any room in the inn if the inn is right here? And it's a good question. It should force us to think for a moment about how we use the time that we have in our lives. Let's try this right now. Um, I want you to think of your own patterns, your own daily routines, and I want you to ask for a moment, how am I using the time that I've got? How uh, am I filling up my inn? Uh, many of you have responsibilities that demand an awful lot of time, and you can't do anything about them, right? You have to go to school. Uh, you have to go to work. And you have family responsibilities, and, and, and you should embrace those. But the question really is for the additional time which we all have, and we get to choose how we'll actually use it, here's the question you should ask. How am I using that? And I suspect that every single one of us, if we took an honest assessment of where the minutes and hours go, we would find that we give the best of ourselves to things which aren't worth it. Do you know that? Um, here's one small example. Almost all of us spend more times on our cell phones than we want to and even know. And if we saw it, we would be surprised and disappointed. Do you think that's true or do you think that I'm just being grouchy? I saw a lot of you on your phones right before the service started. There was a study that was conducted last year. Thousands of, of cell phone users agreed to be a part of this uh, one month long study where every one of their interactions with their phone was monitored. Every time they touched it, every time they, it, it got their attention, the total number of hours they spent for one full month and at the end of the month, they shared the results and they actually have on film uh, a decent number of people when they hear what the outcome was. And before they share with them how much time they spent on average, they ask these participants to estimate how much time they spent. Every single participant underestimated how much time they gave to their phones. Most of them were off by half. And then when the results were shared, without exception, everyone expressed regret. 
Every single one of them wished that they had used the time differently. All of us can find better ways to fill the spare rooms in our lives than we currently are. And, and this goes, by the way, for people who don't use their phones. There are other things which we do which aren't worth it. Imagine this. Imagine if instead of those things, when we had that time, we met up with a friend after work face-to-face for a, a true conversation where we talked about what was really happening in here. Or imagine we went for a walk with a family member around the neighborhood and we held hands. Or we listened to our children tell us about their day and what it was like instead of going back online and reading another news story. Uh, or imagine if we had the guys over to play cards and another round of pool. And, and my, if my wife were here, she'd say, no, no, there's enough of that at our house. <laughs> pool, not cards. Does this pastor gamble at night? No, I don't. But if you want to play cards, I'm up for it. Um, <laughs> we'll say, um, if I only had more room in my life, then I would do those things. But the truth about all of us is we all have the same amount of room. And the question is, which are the guests that I'm welcoming in the space which is mine? And, and here the, the inn at Bethlehem is saying to us, and this is why Luke includes it, um, whether Christ's peace comes into the world depends on whether we make room for him. And if we're sick of the lack of peace out there and the lack of peace in here, then we need to pause and consider, can I welcome this child so he has room to be born in me spiritually? And that's how it works with Christ. So that the gifts he brings can begin to become a reality in this life of mine and then outside of this life of mine in the lives of the people around me who will be changed because I am changed. And I promise you, that is exactly how it works with Jesus. Uh, if, if all you ever do is consider him uh, for a brief bit here and there, you should not be surprised that he makes no difference. But anyone who welcomes him into her heart, anyone, no matter how young or old, any man who says, it's time for me to pause and push these other things aside and welcome Christ, he will find himself experiencing the peace which only Jesus brings, and it will mean a world of difference. I want to be as specific as I can and share three things that will happen if Christ makes his home in you and you begin to experience him there. First, anyone who makes space for Jesus in here will at last find the path to being at peace with himself. Uh, she will finally love the person looking back at her in the mirror. Not because she has performed or done what another person expects, but simply because deep down inside, all the way to the bottom of her feet, she knows I am beloved by God and nothing can ever take that away because Jesus has taken up residence in my heart. The strategies that we have beside that for finding peace in the world, they don't work. No matter what you attain or what you achieve, no matter what you acquire, there is not enough of anything out there to bring peace in here. Do some of you know this? If you don't, there are innumerable instances that prove this fact. The story of Michael Phelps is one that is dramatic. After his fourth Olympics, his gold medal count reaches 23. That is more than the total medals won by 173 of the countries who have ever participated in the Olympic Games combined. Can you imagine being that successful? 
So many sponsorships that his agent is turning down $5 million offers. His dog even gets financial sponsorships. He has reached higher than anyone ever has in his field. And most of us would believe, if I could only get there, then I would have in peace, peace in here. But one month after this achievement, he checks himself into rehab because he's spiraling in anxiety and depression. And the way he puts it is there's no self-love in me at all and I don't even want to be alive. You can't get peace in here by grabbing things out there. His story's remarkable. A friend gives him a book about God's purpose for his life and about the truth that he matters to God no matter what, and that's what turns him around. And here, tonight I'll say that if you welcome Jesus in your heart, you will be on the path to being at peace with yourself. And that's the first thing, and that's critical. If you do that, then the second thing happens, and that is that when Jesus brings you to the place of being at peace with yourself, at last you can finally be at peace with other people around you. And listen now, it doesn't depend on them anymore. It doesn't require them to be just who you always wanted before you were at peace because when Jesus brings peace in here, he also makes peace between you and others. So much of the world's unrest and on a small scale and on a global scale as well is actually rooted in the harm that we put on the individual people around us because of our own wounded hearts. But when Jesus brings peace to you, he frees you to pass that peace onto others by enabling you to forgive so that you're no longer in that cycle of violence where it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus frees you from that and enables you to forgive, and that brings peace in the world. And this means the argument between you and your spouse can end when you say, you know what? I'm going to let it go. It means you can give your friend another chance. It means that the team that you've been working with can say, let's start over. We're going to put the failure behind us. We're going to erase it, and let's do it again. It means that all around you, people will experience peace, which you bring. And by the way, this happens not only in small ways, but in extraordinary ways at two, in extraordinary ways that are, are almost beyond imagination. I know this for certain. Uh, a few years back, two friends of mine, they got the freedom to travel the world for one year, and they decided to go to as many countries as they could and meet people there, asking them about how they understand love in the world. Uh, they wanted to know about peace. Their highlight experience was in Rwanda. There they met a man called Oscar who was 13 years old when the genocide broke out in his hometown. In 100 days, 800,000 human beings were killed. Tutsis by Hutu because of their ethnic differences by machete, most of them. And Oscar told my friend Tim and Emily how he watched his own family members, with his own eyes, die at the hands of the neighbors who he grew up playing with. After this happened, he fled and he went to the army. And these are Oscar's words. My purpose was to receive training and get a gun so I could come back to my village and kill the people who murdered my family members. I wanted revenge. And, and that's a heart that is always going to bring more war in the world but this is what happens with Oscar right before he returns. He trains for five years right before he returns. And again, these are Oscar's words. A friend of mine, he invited me to church. So I said, yes, okay, let's go. I went with him to church, and that's when I accepted Christ into my life. Since then, my life was not the same. Oscar had hate 
and revenge and anger in his heart. And Jesus came and, and that went out and he made room in the inn for Jesus to be born. And he went back to the village where my friends Tim and Emily met him and he went back with forgiveness instead of revenge. He talked to the men who killed his brothers and sisters and he said, I forgive you. And the reason he forgave them Again, these are Oscar's words. We should all love one another, he told my friends. God loves us unconditionally. We must do the same for one another. If we are to change this world, and don't you think the world needs us to change it? I can't hear you. Yes, thank you. If we are to change this world, we must do the same for one another. If we are to change it, the number one thing is to love each other. Without consideration of where you were born, which color you are, where you stay, what's your background, without caring what happened in the past, but focusing on what we can do in the future. When Christ finds room in a person's heart, then that person can be at peace, and then in the future, she can pass on peace to others. That's the second thing which Jesus does when he makes room in here. The third thing, when Jesus is born in your heart, when you make room for him in the inn, he makes peace between you and God. And whether you know this or not, apart from this peace, every strategy you pursue to satisfy yourself will always be frustrated. And all your life long, no matter what you attain, you will always be racing for more. But on the other hand, when Jesus comes and does make peace between you and God, then every good thing has room to grow in that heart of yours. Love and joy will have space to spread out and blossom. Patience and kindness and gentleness and generosity with the people who get on your nerves. It will grow in you and you'll see them change as you are kind to them. Self-control and faithfulness, these are the things which grow in a heart which is at peace with God. And when you make space for Jesus, that's what you should expect. And so here it is. None of these things will be experienced if we don't make room for Christ. If we say, I don't know enough about him to take down this picture and put up a different one, if we don't make room for him, then he'll never be born in us. But when we do give him space, then we'll see peace on earth, uh, on the earth around our feet and in our own hearts and in the people that God changes through us. What does it look like when this happens? I want to I close by giving the words, uh, the, the answer to that question, uh, to the words of one man who found peace because Christ got space in his heart. His name was Paul. Uh, he was someone who was dead set against these Christians. He, he believed that the best thing would be for them to all go away, and he, he even aimed to end their uh, developing religion. But then he met Christ, and he made room for him. And then he went on to describe what it's like uh, to let Christ rule in here and to have peace. Uh, look at these words. This is Colossians 3.12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here he's saying you should look at yourself and think, I'm someone that God has chosen to come to, and you should think of yourself in that way. I'm someone who's beloved by him. That's exactly true about you. And then make it your goal to pursue these five virtues here. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we were all after compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience? It would change the world, wouldn't it? Verse 13, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Whether it's a small thing or something like Oscar 
did. When we follow this path that Christ brings us on, then violence goes away. It doesn't keep coming. And then verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love. And there's a part of every one of us that knows that that's what the world needs most is love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony, which is another image for peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. That's Paul's way of saying, look, God's got an idea about all of you. It's that you should be at peace finally, all together instead of against each other. Let Christ's peace rule in here and then be thankful. Here, this is the last thing I want to say. Every time you hear that Jesus was born in a manger, I want it to be in your mind to ask, how can I let him be born in this heart of mine? And when you do, then you will have the Prince of Peace in you. And then you will become an agent of peace of his in the world. And that's what the world needs now. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this gathering of people here on this evening and for the chance to share uh, from the Christmas story with them. I thank you that, uh, that, that even when Jesus is turned away, he still finds a place to be born and that for every one of us, his invitation is as fresh as it was on that first Christmas. He comes to us and asks to be born and I pray very simply that you would move in us to help us see the things to push aside so that Christ has space to be born. And then I pray simply that every person in here would experience the peace of Christ and that would grow from in their hearts to become peace in the world. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.